So now that you're all joyful, let's start being sad by looking at this image I've chosen for today. Before we begin, actually, I wanted to say that I went to an awesome basketball game last night with the youth group and the Magic won at the buzzer. They won. Okay, it was awesome. It was so much fun, and um, I'm a little tired, so I brought water up here today because I might lose my voice. It was awesome. Um, We'll see how it goes. Okay, so today we're going to be in 1 Kings, like Taj mentioned, and we're going to be talking about languishing, and you're asking yourself, what does languishing mean? What is languish? You might have heard this word before, but I'm actually going to trip over this water bottle. Um, There was an article put out a couple weeks ago by a a writer named Adam Grant. He's a social psychologist, social something. He's like a Malcolm Gladwell type of writer. He looks at social constructs and he kind of sees why do people act the way they do. And he wrote an awesome article for the New York Times. I highly recommend you go check it out. It's just titled Languishing. If you type that into Google, it will probably come up. But he talks about this term languishing kind of being the predominant feeling of 2021. Because 2020 was not the way we expected it to go. A lot of sermons, a lot of preachers had a plan for 2020 to have a corny catchphrase for the year, like 2020 vision. That was a joke because it was terrible. It was not what we expected it to be. But Adam Grant puts forth this word languishing as the predominant feeling of 2021. And what I mean by that is that it's kind of foggy. Okay? We're kind of in that middle spot between joy and actual, like, clinical depression. And I'm going to be a little vulnerable with you guys this morning. This is a term that I, once I read it, I was like, that's it. This is what I've been feeling for so long. Because I wouldn't consider myself, there, there have been times where I've been extremely down. And, and I don't think I was in that, in the necessarily where I was clinically depressed. But I was not experiencing joy. And I'm speaking in past tense like I've gotten over this. I have not gotten over this. And I think this is the predominant feeling we're feeling in 2021. It's the moment where you're sitting in your house and you don't have the TV on and you're staring at the wall. TV shows aren't good anymore. Books aren't good anymore. I've been outside a lot. Nothing is good anymore. It's that middle way. And and the way that Adam Grant kind of describes it, it's it's the proverbial meh. Everything is just meh. Have you maybe felt this way a little bit this year? Maybe. And as I was reading this article, and as I was kind of just realizing, yes, this is kind of where I've been for the past year, I had a few questions that came to my mind. Am I alone in this? Well, obviously not, because this guy's writing about this, and a lot of people are reading it, nodding their heads, saying, yeah, I feel this way. Uh, Should I keep this to myself? Typically, I like to keep things close to the vest, okay? I like to keep things to myself. I am, like I've told you many, many times, I am terrible at expressing how I feel or how I think about things. Should I keep this to myself? I don't think so. And my, and my question that I kind of ended with was, does Jesus care about this? Because like I said, it's kind of in the middle. It's the middle child between joy and depression. I mean, obviously God cares about the joy that you're experiencing. Obviously God cares about those who are feeling actually clinically depressed. Those are obvious things. But what about the middle? It's that experience where is is this really something I should be bringing up? Should I just kind of, you know, get over it? No. 
And yes, you should bring it to Jesus. So my question for today, when we're talking about languishing, this fog, this kind of blurry image is, what are we supposed to do with all this languishing? All these feelings of meh. I think 1 Kings has something to tell us about this. Follow along with me. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him and said, get up and eat. For the journey excuse me, is too much for you. So he got up, ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Then the Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then... A voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, tore down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Depressing. Okay. As we are asking this question this morning, what are we supposed to do? With all this languishing, I have two things that I think we can bring this idea of languish in this context of 1 Kings 19 together. What are we supposed to do with this feeling? The very first thing I think that we need to address is we need to give it a name. This morning I'm putting forth to you languish. That might not be your word. That might not be your feeling. But I think it's very important for us to give our feelings a name as best we can. You see, the context of Elijah is key. We just read in 1 Kings chapter 19 about what's taking place. But if you look back to chapter 18, you would see a very different Elijah. Okay, this is the epic scene on Mount Carmel, right? Where Elijah is challenging the prophets of Baal to this, you know, God off. Where they're like, hey, you bring your God, I'm going to bring my God, and we're going to call down fire and see which God shows up. We all remember this, right? 
If you just scan chapter 18, you might just remember this yourself. And so we recognize that the prophets of Baal, they do all they can. And the entire time, Elijah's like, hey, is your God off on vacation? Is he using the restroom maybe? He actually says that, okay? That's crazy that he says that. Uh, he's taunting these people, right? And eventually, you know, Elijah does his thing. They pour water and water and water on the altar. Eventually that fire comes down, and it is crazy because God shows up. The prophets of Baal are stunned. Elijah does kill all those guys. Um, it's, 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 a, it's a little bit of a dark story, right? We just read about that in 19. But Elijah's experience is dramatic in chapter 18. He just confronted the prophets of Baal. He took them on, man versus men, versus gods, versus all this power. And he came out on top. But we get to chapter 19, and he's on the run for his life. Jezebel says some pretty scary stuff to him, right? She says, um, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life that of one of them. I am coming for you, Elijah, and you better be afraid of me. Eliza's in de- er, excuse me, Eliza. <laughs> Elijah is in desperation mode. This is what he has to say. I have had enough. That experience I had in 1 Kings 18 was great, but at this point, I have had enough. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. And who's felt this way before? I know I have, right? Where something just seems too big, and it's like, I'm an imposter. I don't belong here. Elijah's feeling that right now. I do not belong here. I am no better than anyone before me. Take away my life, because I definitely don't want to be killed by this crazy lady who's after me. It's okay to laugh at that. Okay, she's crazy. You see, we have two stories here for Elijah. If you just read chapter 18, you've got to be thinking, he is on top of the world right now. He had this crazy, miraculous experience, cloud nine experience, and then he's on the run for his life. Highs and lows. Please, in my life. But that's not where God leaves Elijah, right? If we read here in 19, 5 through 8, then he lay down under a bush and he fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up, he ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled for 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. With the help of this angel, with the help of this interaction, he is able to name the situation that he is currently in, right? If we look at this, the angel says straight up, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. You at this point right now are too weak to continue going on. You have to recognize where you are because we we heard where Elijah thinks he is. He says, my life is over. Kill me now. I am done. I'm through. I'm finished. But the angel says, you know what? You're just weak right now. I'm going to give you a little bit of food, and I'm going to make you physically stronger. I'm going to give you a little spiritual food, and I'm going to make you spiritually stronger as well. I think this is the bottom line. The angel helps give his situation a name. 
When you give something a name, you take away some of its power. When you give something a name, you give yourself ownership over that situation in a strange way. Elijah, you are weak. You are physically, you are spiritually weak, but that's not where we're going to leave you. This is important for us. If we don't recognize our state in life, if we don't recognize, hey, I'm languishing right now. If we don't give it a name, that's going to continue to have power over us. We're going to continue asking ourselves the question, should I just keep this to myself? Am I just complaining too much? People don't want to hear me complain. Everybody's feeling this. I don't want to burden anybody else. All those feelings I just said are satanic, by the way. Because if we don't bring it to the light, it's going to stay in darkness. And if it stays in darkness, it will never, ever, ever be overcome. We cannot see this weakness unless we name this weakness. We can give things a name and we can take ownership of them. That is the very first step to dealing with languish, is calling it languish and going from there. And like we're a lot like Elijah. Like most of us aren't on Mount Carmel, you know, calling down fire from heaven, right? But we have those experiences, right? We have those highs and we have those lows. It's about what we do and what we do naming them is what gives power to the situation back into our hands and takes it away from the darkness. So the first thing is to give it a name. The second thing, one of two, how do we deal with all this language we're going through? Give it a name. Second thing, give yourself time and space. Because after Elijah names the problem, he's giving nothing but time and space, right? If you look here, he's given food, he has strength, and now he's going to walk for 40 days and for 40 nights. Do you think that that walking did a whole lot for him? I think it did. That happens to me when I go on long walks, right? You start to think. You start to go through the situation, play it back in your mind. He's given time and he's given space. He has this incredible experience in the presence of God. We talked about this earthquake and the fire and the wind and then God's not there. But God speaks to him in this very personal, gentle whisper. It's very, very personal. You might be thinking, it's like, well, why does Elijah even need this? Isn't this the same guy that in, in 1 Kings chapter 18, isn't this the same guy who just literally brought down fire from heaven? Does he need this? I think he does. <laughs> Was that enough? Absolutely not. Elijah has to experience this response in his personal struggle. He's going from this mountaintop experience to being chased and run down for his life. What are you doing here, Elijah, is the first question that God asks him. And he replies, and this is that desperation, right? He, he's going through this, and he says this in response, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. He feels alone. And when you start to feel alone, you don't only feel disconnected from everybody else. You start feeling disconnected from God too. It doesn't matter how many miraculous experiences you have. It doesn't matter how many prayers you see answered around you. If you are feeling lonely within yourself, you are not going to be feeling close to God at all. And that's what happens when we don't give things name. We disconnect ourselves from reality and we disconnect ourselves from God. 
But if we give ourselves, and I want to emphasize that, give as, it's, as if it's a gift to yourself, time and space. Because you can hear in Elijah's words how he's spinning his wheels. Look at what I've done. I've been zealous for a long time, and I'm the only one left. What even is the point of me doing this anymore? He feels alone. My question is, have you been there? Have you felt alone? Have you felt that no matter how many prayers you say, no matter how many scriptures you memorize, no matter how many Bible studies you start going to, or ladies' groups or men's groups, all these things add up to nothing to you because you still feel desperately alone? I know that I have, okay? Being vulnerable with you again. But when we give ourselves time and space to experience God for the sole purpose of experiencing God, that is where healing occurs. This 40 days where he's able to walk and ask these questions, where he comes before God and he still comes before him and says, I feel alone right now. God gives him the opportunity to be in his presence, to engage with. He gives himself time and he gives himself space and he experiences God. And what I love about this text, like, yes, okay, cool. Elijah, it's given a name. He's weak. That's great. Second thing, he's given time and space. But what I absolutely love about this is that his situation doesn't really change immediately. Right? We talked last week about Elizabeth and how Elizabeth prayed and she prayed and she prayed. And as an old woman, she had a baby. And that's great. And we celebrate, yes, Elizabeth, you're awesome for praying and your prayers have been answered. But Elijah has this experience and he comes before God and we have the exact same words here said to Elijah after his experience with God. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars and put, down your, put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. The same exact response is had bookending this experience with God. But the difference is after he says this, after he has this, God gives Elijah something to do. And guess what? He goes and he does it. Before this experience, he was like, kill me now, God, please, in my suffering. And after this experience, he still is in a bad situation. We can agree with that. But he goes and he does what God asks him to do. And I think that's solely because he was given a name for his situation and he was given space and time to experience God. His situation didn't change, but his mindset surely did change. You with me? When we dedicate time to go experience God. And, that's, and I want to just kind of do a caveat. It's not always going to be like this. You might go on a long walk. You might watch a sunrise or a sunset happen and you're kind of just like, I feel nothing. You might be in that languishing mind where, yeah, that sunset's beautiful, but it doesn't mean anything to me. But just the sheer act of going and doing, going and giving yourself time and space is a step in the right direction. And you might see over time your mindset changing. It's not going to happen overnight. It might not even happen immediately like it does for Elijah. But your mindset can be transformed by the simple act of giving yourself time and giving yourself space. It isn't magic, okay? 
And that's the thing that I think we kind of come to is that if I say the right prayers and if I join the right Bible studies and if I memorize the right scriptures, then I will have Jesus on my heart all the time. And I think that's a step in the right direction, but it's not going to happen overnight. It's a continual exercise of giving yourself time and giving yourself space. So I want to end this morning. We started out our worship service today uh, saying the Lord's Prayer together. It's something that people have been saying for a long time. A lot of times people who don't even go to church know the Lord's Prayer, right? A lot of sports teams say it. You see it in movies. You see it all, all over the place. And what I love about that is how unifying that experience is, saying the Lord's Prayer. And so this morning, I want to end the way we started, by saying the Lord's Prayer together. Because I think this languishing feeling is a universal experience. And I think together, if we stand together and we say, we're all going through something, we're going to be here for each other, we're going to remind each other, hey, let's give it a name, let's give ourselves time and give ourselves space. And I think together we can universally, as brothers and sisters in Christ, move towards a situation where we are experiencing more joy than remorse, if you're with me. So if you would, let's stand together and let's say the Lord's Prayer I'm going to close this in prayer, and then Tyrone's going to lead us in a song of invitation. But this morning, I want you to imagine, if you, like I said this morning, if you want to hold hands, hold hands. But in your mind, I just want you to think of all the brothers and sisters around the world that we have this morning that might be saying this prayer. That throughout the week, through our struggles, through our joys, through our triumphs, through our you know, absolute failures, we are still connected saying, I got your back. Let's give it a name. Let's give ourselves time and space. And let's say this together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let's pray together. Continue to stand. Lord, I thank you this morning for the unity that we find in Jesus. That even though that we might be languishing, we might feel sadness, we might feel joy, whatever emotion that we might be feeling, that we can bring it before you and we can lay it at your feet. Our situations might not change. Our situation in life and our relationships might not change. But we recognize if we continue to draw ourselves closer and closer to you, giving ourselves time and giving ourselves space, we can recognize your glory. This morning, help us if it's difficult for us to do that. It's hard for us to trust. And help us to continue to lean on your understanding and not on our own. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's continue in worship this morning and sing together.